Welcome everyone. Welcome to Quantum Nurse live stream. And today I am so happy and excited to have Christian de la Huerta for the second time. So thank you so much. And most of you know Christian. And for those who don't know, let me just give you a little bit about him. And as we go along, you'll know much more. And especially if you get involved with his programs, on the Zoom and in the future when he goes back to his live retreat. So make sure that's the way usually you get to know people, right? So Christian de la Huerta has over 30 years of experience, experience in life, experience, and he is well sought as a spiritual teacher, personal transformation coach, and of course, he is one of the leading voice in the breathwork community. And so most of us have heard of breathwork and I know diff there are different styles. So he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to practical things, tools that we could use for ourselves and just to live the life to the fullest. And in his uh, recent book, The Awakening the Soul of Power, even Gloria Estefan, who is a multi-Grammy winner, I love Gloria Estefan, was fascinated with him and gave him a, an outstanding um, a commentary or a review of that, endorsing that book. So I'm just happy that I have someone here who could bring us to a refreshing conversation. Refreshing in a way because is soul, the topic of soul, the topic of power is always an interesting topic. So, so what is soul? Why is it important to have this conversation? So what about power? So if you have questions like that, this conversation is perfect for you and I welcome you. Welcome, Thank you. Christian. Thank you. Thank you so much, Grace. I'm, I'm delighted and feel blessed to have a moment of grace with grace <laughs> <laughs> thank you and uh, we're smiling really beautifully because just a few minutes before we went live you know how you're just near each other and you still didn't meet each other so that's kind of what happened so i am in princeton new jersey and uh christian is lives in florida and he happens to be visiting just near me. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, we missed each other. <laughs> and uh, and I'll make sure that we won't miss each other next time. Because I, when when it comes to meeting significant people in my life, um, so I'm in New Jersey, and if they come, I say, if you come to New York, I'll meet you in New York. That's one and a half hour drive. If you come to Philadelphia, that's one and a half hour drive. Or um, I, I'll even try and come, I'll go meet you in Connecticut. So for me, that's still close. <laughs> well, and I'm going to be even closer, right? I was in Lamberville, which is 30 minutes. <laughs> and also a favorite place of mine. And yes, did you have your ice cream at my favorite place? No, not this time, but we have a date. Next time I'm up there, I'm up there we're going to meet at Owakau. Owakau is my favorite ice cream. I think they have the best whipped cream also made oh from God. scratch. Everything and is organic and locally sourced. And, and what's your favorite flavor? Oh, well, I stay local when it comes to like, a, I mean, the common of vanilla. And they when, when it's summertime and 
then sometimes they get lavender or peppermint from the kids, from the kids yeah. growing in the nearby garden. Then I like to do that. So yeah, that's my favorite that they make is the lavender honey. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. See, <laughs> and all almost all my visitors coming to Princeton, I'll say. I'll bring you to Oh Wow Cow. Let's go, and I'll just bring them there. <laughs> and, and, and in New York, I have a favorite one. Um, however, I learned that they're no longer there. They closed. Oh, too bad. Yeah, and it's grown. I'll make a shout out for them. It's because it's really a lot of their. It's organic, also coming from Italy. So when mm -hmm. you go to Italy and you have your retreat, Christian. Please find Grom and eat Grom for me, okay? Eat ice, the Grom ice cream. Oh, are you kidding me? I love that place. <laughs> I, I love that place. That's like my second favorite ice cream place in the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. And their, their hot cocoa is like the thickest cocoa oh in the God. world. <laughs> yeah, I, had that, I discovered that place in Venice, and I know they're in in Florence as well, in Firenze. And I also discovered they have one in, in Malibu. Oh, see, you see, I hope it's still there in Malibu, okay? Because there's none anymore in New York. Not oh, even one. Yeah, yeah that, that, they make amazing ice cream. The, the only one that's a little better is, God, I can't think of the name of it, but it's in, um, it's in Paris. Okay. I'm, blanking, I'm blanking on the name of it. All right, when you know it, t tell me, because I haven't been to Paris, so I make sure that in the future I'll eat that ice cream. So we have the ice cream bun. Well, Bartillon, it's, it's called, I just thought of it, Bartillon, it's called, Bartillon. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's what my soul likes, is <laughs> to have the best ice cream and the best hot cocoa. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it, it you, you know it's interesting so our you know, uh, that our topic is soul power because soul power doesn't have to be so serious you know when you try to talk and enjoy your the power of your soul i i i can use it like even in finding the best ice cream and the best cocoa <laughs> <laughs> definitely <laughs> and then my best my one of my best co cocoa um uh, how do you call it? Uh, search in New York is it and landed me to a small coffee cocoa shop, and I didn't even know that there was a famous person there having his his uh, his computer doing some work, and then he heard me and while I'm talking to George, I'm like, this cocoa is good. So we're we're making our own assessment, and then he said. Is it really good? I said, yeah. So he got up and got his cocoa also. Who was it? Who was it, Grace? I, I can't remember his name and he has to forgive me, but he he he's a musician and a performer. He opened up one of the what's it, the uh, World Cup for soccer games. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, because when he was standing buying his cocoa, I said, Wow, this guy is so neat, and I can spot good quality. I'm sorry, but I can spot good quality of clothes, of pants. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my vanity in me. I can spot that. <laughs> I love that, and no, and I'm with you. I think to, to be speaking about ice cream and 
and cocoa and chocolate is completely valid in in a conversation about spirituality and power. Yeah. yeah. If we're gonna, you know, if we're, if we're talking about creating a new world, it has to be fun and it has to be juicy and it has to be sexy. Definitely. And so this guy, he, we had a conversation and he did say that he, he originally came from an African country who never maybe was heard or by people. And he was a musician. So what he did just before he ended his opening music, he waved his flag and it was so beautiful. Mm. And there was a political un unrest going on in his country during that time. So if I Google it again, I'm sure I'll find it. Like soccer opening, you know, African singer. Because I'm good in searching. And it was and it was so meaningful for him that he was living in New York making some more creation. Yeah. Mm. I love that. I love that story. And, and 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 I'm glad you brought that that it has to be fun and because when I was growing up uh, let me just say tell you so you grew up in Cuba and I grew up in the Philippines so we have that common story already and people will always say you know things like as if you have to separate your church practice your spiritual practice with your world experience but I was different and, and I was already a youth leader. So all those following me were getting into the worldly pleasures. And I told my elders, no, there is no separation from the world to your spirituality. The world is part of creation. So whatever we enjoy in the world, it is spiritual. And when I say that, because we'll have, we'll have, we'll be very serious as youth singing in the choir, attending Bible studies. Then we go out to the movie theaters after that. Then in the evening, we'll be at the club dancing. And you know, <laughs> I was a Protestant. So, so that was like a minority growing up there. But because we were so good in church, Christian, uh -huh. They have nothing to say much to us. You don't just allow us. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. And I love that you bridge worlds like that, right? Because you also bridge in the healing world. You bridge east and west. Not only are you a registered nurse in medical me in Western medicine, but I love that you weave that in with your your understanding as a as a hilot and a parawilong. Mm, very what good. a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and 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 until now, I always respect that combination. And I can, I and the wonderful thing when you acknowledge that you have that background or you have your that teaching is that when even if I attend as advanced science conferences, as if I could always connect it, I could always connect this to indigenous traditions, which I will call indigenous science without the research of what we know as research, but it's more the experiential thing. So I, I guess I wanted to, so with that, maybe I we could start that, um, and we could continue that conversation. Then how is it that sometimes, Christian, I see individuals and how do you help them when they seem to struggle in really awakening that soul is spirit, that soul's power in them. And maybe if you want to just, you know, make, define what soul is, what power is, and why is that? Sometimes people just struggle. 
Yeah, you know, we living in the world that we that we live in, you know, which some of the teachings talk about this world of illusion um, that is filled with distractions. So it's it's and and then those of us who lived in the West in particular were just overwhelmed over just with sensory information and um, and now with the internet, it's just crazy the amount of data just flowing through our senses all the time. And, and we live in this ADD society where it's like instant gratification. And uh, so that's why we it's so easy to forget. And it's so easy to get to get drawn into the day to day and forget about the really meaningful stuff. Um, and so and, and yet that is so important because that is what gives meaning to life. Hopefully, everybody listening to, you know, your audience has lived long enough to know that there isn't any amount of money there isn't any amount of fame there there isn't anybody out there who's going to make us happy right and it's not their job to right it's and and, and we know like how many more celebrities do we need to see sure. with all the money all the power all the fame and they're taking their life or, or get caught up in cycles of addiction um, so only connecting with our authentic selves with our authentic nature and living and fulfilling our purpose is going to make us happy and the good news is that that's all inside of us, right? So we don't need anything outside of us to make us happy. Um, and so when I think of soul, when I think of, of spirit, I think of like, you know, it's our own piece of sacred real estate. You know, in, 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 in so many of the indigenous traditions, like you were talking about, they don't have this split that we have in the West between the physical and the spiritual everything is sacred you know the, the 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 clouds and the rocks and the fish and the creepy crawlies and the human body um and if you even want to like take it to the to the max the sexuality right the genitals everything is sacred um and then you know we in the west have have the separation the split between that um and and that all comes from from misunderstanding what the mind is so it's really important if we want to be free and if we want to have the kind of relationships that we long for, and if we want to have a life of meaning and purpose, that we understand what the ego mind is, because that is what keeps us separate and what keeps us disconnected from ourselves and from each other and from something greater than ourselves. Call it spirit, call it the universe, call it whatever you want to call it. Um, and so here's, I mean, we don't have the time to get into everything that the ego is because there's a lot of confusion about it. In the world, we think of, um, you know, we think it means arrogance, having a big ego, uh, and it is that, but it's a lot more than that. And then maybe if we took Psych 101 in college, we might think of Freud's model of personality, the id, the ego, the super ego. And there's some things that apply, but but the way that I'm talking about the ego is more derived from Eastern teachings, um, and it's a part of the mind that that makes sense of, like synthesizes sensory information. It can reach back into the past and can project into the future. And somehow it weaves all of that into a coherent sense of self, an individual personality. This is Christian over here, that's Grace over there. Um, it's ultimately illusion. Uh, and it's both a really helpful illusion. As, as far as we know, we're the only species that has a sense of self. Like when we think about you know, the Latin name for humans, homo sapiens sapiens, one way we can translate that is humans who know that we know, right? So it's, it's that self-reflexive consciousness that allows us to think upon ourselves, about ourselves, and which makes us so 
so intelligent and we can learn so much and progress so much and evolve so so quickly it's also the source of all our suffering because once we had that individual identity that's when now we can have you know we can feel lonely we, we feel disconnected we feel depressed we feel um you know we have a sense of our own mortality we we have abandonment issues so it's really understanding and, and that part of us is it's what keeps us in a self-made prison of fear and lack and limitation um and and it's 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 all about reacting and it's all it's stuck in, in in feeling victimized by life and feeling and feeling victimized and done to by other people and if we're talking about a journey of empowerment as long as we're holding anything or anyone outside of ourselves responsible for our happiness for our state of being we're just giving our power away so really important that that then that as if we want to have a sense of of personal empowerment that we begin to understand how that ego mind works so what I'm hearing from you, Christian, is that when, when we feel that we are a victim, when we feel that we are not good enough, when we feel that, why didn't he do this for me? Or why, didn't, why did he do this to me? And all, you know, all the things that seem not to help us empower ourselves, that's kind of like the, the symptoms of um, not being connected to our soul power. Is that what you're saying? Yes, you can definitely say that. Of connected to ourselves, to our authentic nature. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and then the other thing that complicates our relationship to power is that we've been conditioned to think that it's a bad thing, right? So how many times have we, have we heard power corrupts? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. What they didn't tell us is that that quote originally was talking about political power, not interpersonal power. So when you add that to the fact that, you know, to, that, that all we have to do is watch the news on any day or, or read the headlines even, and to witness at least one abuse of power. Um, so what good-hearted person wants to be corrupted? What good-hearted person wants to be abusive? Like we, so we, and then add to that the fact that we, we've been conditioned to think that the emotions are wrong, that the emotions are weakness, that they're less than reason. Um, and so we hate confrontation. We're afraid of conflict. Put all that into a mix. And what happens is that we end up giving away our power. We end up selling out on our power. We end up saying yes, when inside we feel no. Um, and so, and we, and we end up settling, settling for less, settling for, 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 for you put like selling out on our convictions, our beliefs, our desires, the kind of relationships that we long for, and we settle for for an illusion of security, and for a false sense of of acceptance and morsels of pseudo love. And there's a different way of doing it. Is it possible that when we recognize that soul power, we can also go to that path where we abuse it or 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 the question is like what are the trappings of power yeah i mean definitely I mean, human beings have free will so we can definitely abuse power in fact we all have abused it and we've all been at the other you know at, at the effect of somebody abusing power um but the more the stronger our self-esteem 
the, the, the more, the better that we know it ourselves, the more that we accept and love ourselves, the less, the, the stronger our, our, our personal power and the less that we need to abuse it, right? Because that's, the, the abuses of power that, that, that we witness are usually connected with what I call worldly power or egoic power, meaning ego power. And so we tend to think of people who are powerful as those who have fame, who are, who are, who are rich, who are high up in some kind of hierarchy, whether it's um, you know, a corporate ladder, whether it's a nonprofit organization or religious organization. Uh, but all those kinds of power, because they're outside of us, they're, they're fickle. They're external. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. Whereas the other kind of power that, I, that I'm talking about, which is soulful power, spiritual power, is inherent to us. It's inside each and every one of us. Nobody can give it to us. Nobody can take it away. We are the only ones who can give it away. And, and that's the tragic part of it, that we give it away for all the wrong reasons. So it's and, kind of like it's, it's just right, it's with us. And all we need to do is like um, put a little spark on it so that we could use it. And maybe, you know, for, I would say, use it for the service of humanity. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's another difference. You just point to another big difference between them. Worldly power is all about, it always has an agenda. So it's always trying to get something for itself. And it's also very arrogant like it's always trying to blow itself up to seem bigger than it is um, so it feeds off what other people think about it and, and val external validation um, whereas the spiritual power soulful power it's humble it doesn't need to prove anything to anybody and it's really mighty like it's really powerful think about you know the my favorite examples are Gandhi or Gandalf, you know, from the Lord of the Rings in their simple monastic robe, their sandal feet, you would never know how much power they hold until it's needed. And then watch out, like, like Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees without ever shooting a gun or landing a single punch. When, when the British Empire was at its highest uh, reach in terms of, of global, you know, of, of conquering and um, all the colonies that it had at that point. And in our day-to-day -day life, what you just said reminded me that we, in our um, circle of our immediate family, we might have people who have that soulful power. You know, sometimes someone could be our grandmas and, you know, who are just kind of like behind the scenes. And yeah. yet they've been influencing or they've been t teaching you know, us on how to live our life in a decent way to serve for the humanity. So there are so many. So I guess those who are awake and knows that soul power, as you said, doesn't have to be in the limelight all the time. And it's even interesting, and thanks for um, bringing up that definition of that uh, homo sapiens. And, you know, sometimes words can give us trouble. Or first of all, I don't, even know who made those words, right? And maybe, maybe the people who are in, who were in power at that time made yes. those words to even say that we are the species that knows. Right. And because right. because there was, I think I heard a conversation not too long ago on saying that okay, if we are 
uh, made in the image of God and we are, you know, um, yes, we are creatures from the source and then are, and, and there are statements or there are some writings that we have dominion over the earth. Then, but then it's, uh, someone else said, but what does that dominion really means? Do we like, just like, do what we want to do, whatever we want to do, because we have dominion <laughs> over it. And yet, Christian, um, if we follow some theoretical story about the creation, the human beings were not even created first. So, <laughs> right. you know, and, and whether there's theory like that or stories like that in scriptures or in science, when I look at nature, the trees, most of the trees will still be there and I'll be dead. So I can, how can I have dominion over this tree? So I guess it makes That's me humble. It makes me humble. That is so true. And, and if we were so smart, why, why are we destroying the very planet on whose survival we depend? Um, so, so yeah, it's a very limited way of understanding knowledge and wisdom. Um, and, and I think, by the way, that's part of the part of what has to shift is our understanding um, and our relationship not only to ourselves, which is why I wrote this book to so understand who we really are, um, because that'll shift our relationship to each other, and it'll shift our relationship to to nature, um, because it's so off balance, and 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 out of, because of that unbalanced relationship, like sim like COVID, is a symptom of that. <clears throat> and, and so, yeah, so I, I, I love that you brought up the, the natural connection because much to the surprise of, of some humans, we are part of nature. <laughs> so that is our nature. Yeah, yeah, yes. And then when we say about that in nature, environment, in my, I always have to say we are in that environment. We are environment. Like, you know, we are really part of what we keep talking about as an environment. And that's just crucial when you keep saying um, that communication. And I'm glad that, you know, your book really speaks power, uh, that power in terms of connectivity. And because when we understand that, yeah, that rock may just be a rock, but that doesn't really mean that that's um, insignificant. Okay. And I say that, Christian, because when we even do, I, I practice quantum reflex analysis as part of my um, assessment tool to help others um, harmonize their their body, especially their bioenergy field. Even a, a tree which we think may be so beautiful or that not doing anything or a rock just standing there, that could also affect our own energy. So then when, 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 a practitioner like me, and then there's someone I'm I'm testing can experience that. That's also one way that they can directly experience that connectivity. And mm -hmm. then when we as and I've heard you say this in many of your other interviews that when we acknowledge that relationship, then we are we become more respectful. And, and it really, everything that we do will come from our soul and, and from our heart and, you know, from our whole being. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah. Tell, 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 
And, and it reminds me of, you know, like reminds me of, you know, the, the Hindu namaste, the concept of, which gets so, I'm not going to say abused, but it gets spoken a lot without really remembering its, its deepest meaning. Um, because if we live by that one concept alone, what a different world. Like if, if the sacred in me recognizes and bows to and sees that in you, how can I invade your country or, or rape you or steal from you? Right, because we're, we're all interconnected, um, and it's like it's like such a different way. But it, but even let's go even with the Western traditions that that claim that like we were saying earlier that God is omnipresent. Well, if, if God is indeed everywhere, that means that God is in me. It's in you. It's in it's it's everywhere, including by the way the bedroom and the genitals, um, which we have had this whole split between the phys the sexuality and spirituality, which is a whole other conversation we can get into but if if we honor that if we if we become you know from that place what how can we do harm to each other yeah and and when you mention about you know our genitals it's really interesting because indigenous people has always have that sacredness and um, explanation and or if not explanation, like allow you to experience that every part of your body has that um, energy and significance to creation, especially to the creation to which brings us to the uh, creativity in mm -hmm. its us. And, and then when we can acknowledge that the sacredness and divinity, it seems like we see, we even see a lot of beauty around us and so i think a lot of artists have that ability to see that maybe for others it's nothing in one area and yet they see the beauty of it and the sacredness because they always see that connectivity and they always see that divinity and spirituality yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting you mentioned about the genitals because not too long ago i was listening to a lot of vagina monologues <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 it just always brings out the best in us when we're open so what is the like the key what what would be the first step if someone again is is, is still trying to um open up and having some let's just say this current times okay and this current times maybe the one is being forced because of the situation to change a career you know because a lot of my jobs may may change what would help them to find their way to what they wanted to do hmm. well you know i that's also a big question and by the way before i answer it um i was i feel really blessed that i was at the the vagina monologues at um Madison Square Garden, when they had like 80 something celebrities, all of them dressed, all these amazing, famous women dressed in red. It was incredible. It was like mm. a, such a powerful experience. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's another huge question, purpose, right? Like how do we know what we're here for? Um, and how do we remove the, the, the obstacles, the fear, all the ways in which we have been playing small and and hiding our light under a bushel, um, and acting as if as if we were something lesser than we actually are, 
for the same reasons that we were talking about earlier, you know, fear of rejection, fear of ending up alone. So we, we, you know, put ourselves into smaller packages and put on a little fake smile and, and act like everybody else. Um, and again, it's not, it's not a good strategy because that's the only thing that's going to fulfill us. So all the answers to those questions are inside of us. Like, like, like we are the only ones who, who, who really know that. There's some questions that we can ask ourselves to that will, you know, that to help us figure that out. Like, for example, when I do a weekend retreat on that, we spend a lot more time on this. But questions like, um, you know, what what is it that when you're doing it, time stops, right? And suddenly three hours went by and, and you lost track of time. Um, here's an interesting question that I, that, that I often ask people through is like, how... How did you play as a child? Like, and I can't tell you how often teachers, you know, people who are teachers now as adults, when they were kids, they used to play school and put, you know, line up all their dolls or, or all their stuffed animals um, as their classroom. Um, hmm. And for me, you know, it's like, like you were saying before, I was, I was born in Cuba. So in, in the commune, at, at the time when it was, you know, like really strict communist, country um so we didn't have a lot of toys and for which i'm really grateful because we had to invent our own games and i grew up reading instead of watching tv um, so i'm really grateful for that but one of the games that we made up was church and my brother and i were were altar boys we were also raised you know christian we were catholic and so um so when we my, we got to bring the robes home, and because I was the older one, I always got to be the priest, and my brother was my altar boy. Um, so, and it's interesting. Like these days, it's like I'm not ordained by anybody, by any institution. I don't feel like I need to be ordained by anybody to know that the work that I do is priestly role, in in this in the sense that I help people reconnect to their spiritual essence. Uh, and it's good to hear that. Um, with with current censorship of many things, including taking away licenses of cer certain health professionals, I know some people who have, in fact, voluntarily relinquished those licenses, and mm. to, and that it, that they said it empowered them to even claim their own power to do what they need to do, mm. and that's you know for me again those that's another way when people can find their authentic self to 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 play the role that they believe that that's their mission in life i said yeah and it seems like they they let go of that fear that this piece of paper or this piece of license is the only way that they can help people yes so exactly exactly and and you know that's that brings me back to the conversation of the ego mind again because the ego is very loud and it's, it's what the Buddhas refer to as the monkey mind because it's that inner chatter, that nonstop chatter inside of our heads that drives us crazy because it never stops. Um, whereas the, the soulful part of us, you know, the soul, the, the, the authentic us, um, is that deep, quiet voice inside, you know, the, the, that has very simple language like the voice like i said the ego went to law school right so it's always building a case to prove that it's right it's always pulling concepts from here and from there to build a case um and so complicated thoughts all the reasons why 
Whereas the voice of the higher self, the voice of the soul is that simple, simple language that, that'll say things to us like, yes, uh-uh, do that. I wouldn't go there. When do we get into trouble? When we override it, <laughs> we go there anyway. And so the voice of the ego is also very grandiose. Like this week it'll say, oh, I know exactly what I'm gonna do with the rest of my life. That's gonna cure cancer and solve world hunger and make me a gazillionaire in the process. Three months later, it's like, oh my God, no, this isn't working. This is too much, too much work. It's too complicated. This is what I'm gonna do. That's gonna solve all the world's problems and make me a gazillion dollars. Um, so it's fickle. The inner voice is constant. Right. So a year later, after we have crashed six different projects, that little voice inside is going to is still saying, do that. Do that, which is so that's another way in which we know. And in, in finding that inner voice, I guess it pays to have that quiet moment. Right. And then that, that intentional practice of being quiet. Right. And then because uh, mm -hmm. I. You, you teach meditation and an, another modality or let's, if you call it a modality that you really incorporate in your teaching is also breath work, mm -hmm. which in a way is also your meditation um, mm -hmm. way. So, and so what, what is so important to have that daily practice? Yeah, and, and you know, I, and I tell people who are starting to to do some kind of mindfulness practice, like don't even go for daily, right? Because what we're, because we'll, we're, what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for failures. Like oh, we start the new year's, like oh, I'm going to meditate an hour a day for seven days a week, and then it's it's hard, you know, it's hard to get in the habit of that. I would much rather that somebody say, you know what, I'm going to start ten minutes a day, three four days a week. The 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 concept is what you're talking about, right? It's like, how do we quiet that crazy monkey mind that's always chattering? And they call it the monkey mind because it jumps from thought to thought in the same way that a monkey goes from branch to branch. So we need to get underneath it. We need to allow it to quiet down so that we can access the inner truth, the wisdom, the information that's inside each one of us under there. And the only way to do that is to quiet the, 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 the ego mind, the monkey mind. So there are practices like meditation that are very helpful. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to sit on a meditation cushion with, you know, with your legs crossed on the floor and, um, and your hands in, in mudra poses and repeating a mantra. It could be a, a sitting alone in nature, sitting in, a, you know, in front of a lake, in front of the ocean, and just quiet, quieting your mind, right? Like focusing on your breath. Um, follow, allowing the breath to guide you deeper and deeper inside you. And so that you, in quieting that mind is when we access the our, our essence. And in the breath work that you teach, Christian, is it, um, this, is it a particular style or eventually in your practice, um, especially working with thousands of people already since, you know, many years, for many years, is or eventually it just evolved into something that you kind of know intuitively that works for people. Can you speak more on that breath work? Yes, there's so there's a lot of different breathing practices and techniques. Um, like in in for those of you of your audience who are yogis or yoginis, that there's this whole you know 
branch of yoga, which is pranayama, which is about breathing practices. The breath work that I'm talking about is, is longer than, than that that we do in yoga class. It's, it, you do it for about like an hour, and a, an hour to an hour and a half. You breathe in a certain way, you know, like a, in a circular, connected way. And amazing things happen, Grace. It's like I've, I've yet to come across anything that heals as quickly and in so many levels. My, my dad was a psychiatrist. My degree's in psychology. I was on a track to get a PhD in psychology. When I discovered breathwork 30 years ago, I jumped tracks. I never went for the PhD because it works so fast and, and heals so profoundly. And, and I know it sounds too good to be true when I say this, but it even heals physically. And to my logical, more rational, scientific mind, that still doesn't make any sense after 30 years. It, it, but I can't argue with the results. Like it works. Like it works. And I've witnessed healings happen too many times to question it. Um, and, and I'm talking about people who have severe, serious emotional trauma. I'm talking about people that I've worked with who have experienced rape, sexual abuse, like violent stuff. Um, that they have experienced and and it gets healed. So Christian, how come not a lot of people like on with psych psychologists or their their psychotherapists not use that? You know, when there's even science to it, you know, already about the the breath work. But would it be even more significant? and they can help more people if they just use that. Because sometimes it bothers me when a person is under a, someone's care forever, for mm -hmm. many, when I say forever, for many, many years, because I have, uh, you know, friends who are like that, and they will just be, they will have the same story again and again and again. <laughs> I and I know that it is important to acknowledge it, right? So it's because that's when you sit down with it. But then if you keep saying the same thing, it's like you are rehashing all the time. I know, I know, Grace. I'm, I'm with you. And with all due respect to, to psychotherapy, in, in the right hands, it can be so helpful. And we both know, and we all know, that you can sit on somebody's couch rehashing the same old crap and nothing happens. The reason for that, and they come to me, like I've had people tell me, I've been going to therapy for 20 years, 30 years to have that moment of healing, that moment of no mind is like, wow, I finally got what I needed, the freedom that I was looking for. Um, and I'm not saying that it's an either or thing. It's, it's an actually, I have a lot of therapists who refer people to me. It's a great adjunct to therapy. Right, because you understand what happened at the cognitive level, and then the real core level um, healing happens at, at the body level. Because th that's the reason that talk therapy can can fall short. Because understanding up here, up in the mind, what happened to us when we were five or ten or fifteen is good. But the problem is that that trauma no longer lives in the mind that trauma has somaticized and now lives in the body and no amount of talking about it is gonna get to it. So I would advocate for both and, right? If, 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 you've, if you've got a psychotherapy process, all the more power to you. And, you know, and like I was saying before, in the right hands and with clear goals. Um, because I do, I do 
find that too, as you were talking about, that people have been rehashing the same old crap over and over and over again. It's like, come on, we should have cleared that already. Um, and I know that it can be cleared fast. I know from personal experience, my own shit. Sorry, I, was, I don't know if I was supposed to see if I could say that or not. I don't think that will be censored. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So, so I know, I know from personal experience, it's like my entire adolescence was one long depression with suicidal fantasies. Um, and I guess that's one thing to be said for, you know, for the hierarchy of sins of the Catholic religion. That was a worse sin that I was really worried about. Um, and, and I also you know, didn't want to bring pain to my family. Um, but I, but I got to tell you, like these days, like no matter what happens, no matter the circumstances of my life, no matter the details, like a relationship works out or it doesn't, a project succeeds or it fails, in quotes, um, I never, ever questioned my sense of worth. I never doubt that. Like that is established. And I know self-doubt. I know self-hatred. I know what that feels like. And it never, ever comes up again. The beautiful thing, in fact, when you you say that's what you do and experience, is that it's not that you're even perfect. It does. It's not that you're even. It stays long, but there will still be moments, and yet you you continue to knock in your soul power and say, "Okay, get over it," and you know. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think there's any really any end to the process of growth and healing and evolution, and I think it would be boring. If we finally said, okay, I'm done, I think life would be a little boring then. Um, and and in my experience, the you know, the what I I think the teachers that I have seen who get in trouble are the ones who 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 feel like, oh, I've I've transcended my ego, I no longer have an ego. Um, and to me, that's you know, it's once you place yourself up in that that high, then there is nobody who's a credible mirror for you. So then you then there's nobody who can mirror towards the blind spots. Uh, so no, I never claim perfection. <laughs> I never claim to be more than than human. What I do own is that I've had the courage and the willingness to do the hard work, right? The heroic work of going inside, of looking at myself, of understanding why I do the things we do, um, of and of healing stuff from my past. And because I've done it, it's like I know that I can help others do. I know that I can help others to get free. And then we become our own heroes, right? That's what you wrote in your book as well. You know, we become our own heroes and um, it, it's just, it, it's just a nice way to really keep reminding ourselves that, you know, it's just part of life and it, it's okay if things happen, Oh, but you know, I don't know. It's just, and that's why even nowadays it looks, I, I can feel it such an empowering critical times because a lot of things, good things are coming up even when there are things that are, may look like they're not, you know, going to be favorable. But again, you, you just, I, I like to keep reminding myself, okay, there's so many good things coming up. Hey, I would have not met you. 
<laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah. We're living in challenging times for sure. Dramatic times of change. Um, you know, one way to think about it from my perspective is what we're witnessing is, is the end of an era, is the end of the patriarchal times. And so, yeah, it's, those, that's the scary part of it. Like systems that are no longer sustainable were, were witnessing implode in front of our eyes. But there's a promise in that, right? There's like out of the ashes, the phoenix will rise and new forms, new systems, new structures, new ways of being will emerge that will be sustainable. And so it's a time of, of hope. Um, and maybe we can, maybe, you know, there's, a, there's maybe we, we can um, share this little story, um, which is very inspiring as, as a way to wrap, wrap up, wrap this beautiful conversation up is that, there's there's this woman called Elizabeth Satouris who who's, who's a um, ethnobiologist, and so she discovered these cells called imaginal cells in the caterpillar, and they actually contain the DNA of the butterfly, which is slightly different. So the immune system of the caterpillar views these imaginal cells as foreign objects, just like a like like it would a, a virus or or bacteria, and it kills them. To protect the to protect the the caterpillar, um, so you know the the imaginal cells pop up and and destroy them. And we can make a comparison that humanity has always done that to our prophets and our light carriers, on our truth speakers. You know the the Jesuses, the Gandhis, the Dr. Kings, and and others. You know they pop up and we take them down. They pop up and we take them down. There's a point in the life cycle of the caterpillar where something happens, some internal mechanism is triggered and, and they go into these hyper eating phase. You know, they just eat everything around them. You could compare it to that's where he, we're, that's what we're doing as humanity. We're consuming our resources without even regard to our own survival. Um, but here's the upside. When the caterpillar goes into that hyper eating phase, it also triggers a hyperproduction of imaginal cells. And when that happens, they start propping up here and there and everywhere. And not only that, but they start gravitating to each other and finding each other. And they start creating what she called imaginal clusters. Once that happens, the immune system can no longer destroy them. So the immune system tries to take them down and it can, and it tries to destroy the imaginal clusters, then it can't until it finally fails. And it implodes, and that's when the caterpillar turns into a, 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 the cocoon, into a, a, a mush, which is what the imaginal cells feed on, feed on as they become the butterfly. So you could say that that's where humanity is, right? That we, and that you and I and your listeners, your audience, that we are the imaginal cells, you know, all of those of us who know, who suspect who have the slightest inkling that we have work to do as teachers, as healers, as activists for change and to support the, the, the awakening, the spiritual revolution that is happening. And that when we come together, we can no longer be destroyed. That's beautiful. I, I can, I strongly agree to that uh, comparison. And we, we could really learn a lot from the cycles of the butterfly. And soon, yeah, I look forward to the, time when we could be butterflies <laughs> yes yeah. yeah and so that's beautiful um but uh, how about i really want us through you do you know with your lead leadership can you please 
lead us to some type of meditation? Uh, yeah, I don't have a lot of time, but I'll do. Um, okay, we do uh, just a minute or something, yeah, and then we'll, after that, please um, tell them where they can reach you. Yeah, so let me do that first, so because otherwise I'll forget. So they can reach me. My website is soulfulpower.com, and if they um, go there and soulful is spelled s-o-u-l-f-u-l power p-o-w-e-r.com if they sign up to be on my email list they'll get a chapter from the book uh they'll get some power practices and they'll get a recorded meditation like a like a nice one longer than the one i'm going to be able to do today uh, and i think it's on trust so it's a, a beautiful support for these chaotic times in which we live um so all right so if we can just take a couple of moments and close our eyes and take a few deep breaths. I just began to notice our inhale and our exhale. And we might notice subtle differences between them. So maybe it's the temperature, or maybe it's where the air caresses the back of our throat or the roof of our mouth might be slightly different as it enters or leaves our body. And that simple act of noticing the breath begins to deepen our connection to it, our relationship with it. And so let's keep doing that for a few breaths, just allowing the breath to slow down and to deepen and I imagine sometimes that I can hold hands with the breath or that maybe surf it or, or ride it, right? So as the breath deepens, I allow the breath and we allow the breath to take us, to guide us deeper and deeper within, which is, as we were saying, where all the answers to all our question, questions are which is where our power lies, our wisdom, our, not, our knowing. And so we continue that deep breath and another deep breath as we allow the body to slow down and to relax. And obviously if you're listening to this, driving, you're not closing your eyes and you're staying and uh, paying attention. Um, but if you're anywhere in the comfort of your home or in a safe environment, continue letting go and continue relaxing and continue dropping in. As the breath continues to slow down. And if it works for you, you can place your, your, your hand, the palm of your hand, over your heart center, over your heart chakra, like that point of contact over the, the sternum where the rib cages meet. And so as we breathe into that space, into that place, we feel ourselves dropping out of our heads and all that crazy thinking and judging and expecting, right? We, we feel those thoughts becoming less frequent 
and quieter as we drop into our bodies, as we drop into our hearts. And if it helps to imagine someone or even something you love, imagine it there in your heart, in your heart center. Could be a natural space, like your favorite beach or favorite mountain spot. Just somewhere that, or, or somebody, could even be a pet. Right? Anyone or anything that when you think about them, it brings up loving thoughts and loving feelings. So that's what we're doing now. We're consciously evoking that experience of love in ourselves. Because once we're in that space of love, there isn't room for anything else. Like love and fear, love and hate cannot coexist. So the more that we consciously bring ourselves into, and we can do this just like we're doing now, right? With a simple practice, we can inspire love in ourselves. And this is a simple practice, like we're doing just a couple of minutes. You can do it before a difficult conversation or a challenging meeting, before you have to make a presentation. At any point, if you're stressed out, if you're in a place of fear, if you're feeling lonely, you can help yourself navigate out of that and pop out of that and guide yourself to this place of center, this place of love. It, it's in us. All we got to do is bring our attention to it. And like we're doing right now, we can consciously bring it up in ourselves and continue, continue relaxing, Continue taking deep, slow, delicious, sensuous breaths. Breathing can be sensual. Breathing is life. Breathing is our spirit. Like in most spiritual traditions, one word, the same word, can mean spirit or breath, depending on the context. So with a simple practice, and all it takes is a few minutes, you can, you can guide yourself to reconnect with your own spirit, with the Holy Spirit, if you would, with the holy breath, the life-giving breath. Like so many texts and traditions have this visual of God or spirit breathing life into humanity. Right, The breath is our most loyal, our most faithful companion on this journey of embodiment. And this is how we connect with the breath to guide ourselves into that place of center, that place of remembering, that place of where we can be the eye of the storm, right? And we can allow all the drama of the people and the situations around us and in the world around us, we can allow it to circle us and we remain centered in our power, standing in our love. Right? And no one can take that away from us. We are the only ones that can forget and who can give it away. 
and can allow ourselves to be distracted and, and forget about that. But it is our nature. And so accessible. And so anchoring this remembering, this peace, this love in the cells of our body so that we remember at a cellular level. Slowly we begin to bring ourselves back. Opening our eyes when we're ready. Thank you so much. And thank you, Christian. And to our viewers and listeners, thank you so much for being with us in this moment. Yes, uh, do check out the soulfulpower.com. And, you know, he's is available for anything that you might want to reach out to him. And I will make sure that I put the information also with this and the audio to a video. And do check out the quantum nurse that life and Christian Mabalos. That's thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you Mabalos. And thank the you for, for sharing, sharing this moment of grace with us. I know we have this nice name. We have a compatible name, Grace Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Thank you for having me on the show and thank you for all you do that makes such a difference in so many lives. Thank you too. Okay.